It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. And a very good Thursday morning to you. Hoping we find everybody in good spirits today. John Paul taking your calls at 1850-333-103. Texting and WhatsApp's available at 86 And of course, the news from Malaysia filtering out this morning. So the post-mortem results for Nora Corinne, of course, hasn't didn't arrive in time to make any of the papers. I think it was about four seven o'clock this morning. The Malaysian authorities gave the results of the post-mortem and said that Nora Corinne died from intestinal damage, is how they're phrasing it. And they said that's likely from prolonged hunger and uh, stress. Uh, they confirmed also they could find no evidence of foul play. There was also, they say, no evidence for the time being that she was a victim of uh, kidnapping. She had, uh, Nora, the 15-year-old, had disappeared from the jungle resort. They say she had been dead for two to three days by the time she was found on a Tuesday. And let's really focus and think of the poor family, her parents in particular. They had faced an agonising wait yesterday because it was hoped yesterday the results of the post-mortem would be released. But then the police came out and said, no, they needed uh, extra time. So they, uh, they'd they hoped yesterday they would have established an exact cause of death. But they said the results were, were inconclusive so they needed more time and that's why the the post-mortem continued into today which for us would have been overnight but would have been the following day for her parents um, and they had just that agonising wait but anyway they found out this morning. Now her grandfather in France is giving interviews a gentleman by the name of Sylvain Corinne this would be her dad Sebastian Corinne's father. he He's actually a mayor of a small town in Burgundy and I'm reading a piece in the Irish Times today. He did a phone interview with Lara Marlowe of the Irish Times talking about Nora's disappearance and then her body being uh, found and he believes that Nora was the victim of a heinous crime and that all other possible explanations for the 15-year-old's death, he says, simply does not stand up to uh, reason. And he spoke about what Nora was like as a little girl and as a 15-year-old. She wasn't your typical 15-year-old. Like he, he said, for example, she clung to her parents and sister. It is not possible she would have willingly left with a stranger. If she did go out alone by mistake, she'd have banged on the door and screamed to be let back in. She had travelled often with her family. She'd never wanted 
wandered off. She was thrilled to be going to uh, Malaysia. And then he spoke about the terrain in the resort <clears throat> is steep and stony. And then, of course, the rain- rainforest just beyond that. The ravine where her body was found is just under two kilometres from the bungalow where she was staying with her family. He said, can you imagine her walking almost two kilometres naked and barefoot over rocks and in the middle of the night, he said to him, that is absolutely absurd. And then obviously he was asked about as to why she was naked because that's the big question. I know a lot of people and the conspiracy theorists, particularly on Twitter, are really homing in on the fact that she was uh, naked. But he explained that it was a very warm, humid night and that she'd gone to bed without her pyjamas on. And when she was discovered missing the next day, none of her clothes, none of her shoes, they, none, they were all still in the bungalow so they assumed that she had left the property with no clothes on so that's the reason that she would have been found um, naked and then you know grandfather talks about the fact that they'd just flown to Malaysia from London it was an 18 hour uh, flight there was a 7 hour time difference from their home in London she was the most exhausted of all of the family and you know he's making the point do you think that she'd have an hour or two sleep and then get up in the middle of the night and go walk about he finds it just completely absurd is the word he is using and the grandfather also saying that Nora's family he expects will leave Malaysia within days once they they were waiting on the autopsy uh, report so there there's more I think to come on this story but as I say once again just absolutely thinking of the family and what they are going uh, through 1850 Our lines are open on the programme this morning. We're going to be hearing in a couple of minutes, we're going to have somebody joining us in the studio from Irish Water. This is just to give us the very latest update on the Fremont Water Treatment Plant. We know this was, was a fire there at the weekend and it has been causing problems for a pretty wide enough area. Fremont, Jemina, Liscarroll and Milford, they've all been having problems with their water since and I suppose the question for everybody people just want to know when are we going to have our water back so we'll get the very latest on that this morning on the programme one of our listeners then is going to join us because she is having a problem getting a visa for her husband to live in this country Uh, Mary will outline the story of how she met and married uh, her African born husband and I don't think at the time of getting married did she realise that she was going to have problems getting a visa for her husband so she joins us because she wants to highlight the story and I suppose also to see if anybody else has been in a similar situation if anybody has advice for Mary as to how she can get around this issue she could go down the route of just bringing him in on a holiday visa and then just letting him stay here illegally almost but she said they want to do everything correctly they want to do everything above uh, board but she's she, she'll explain why she, they have so far she, her husband so far has been turned down for a uh, visa Minister Jim Daly is going to join us on the programme he is talking about the it's a newly formed group um, Friends of Clonakilty Community Hospital Corda Clonakilty Community Hospital to give it its correct title so we'll find out a little bit more about that group in advance of an open day which is happening at the hospital uh, tomorrow why the lovely pretty little village of Castle Martyr so desperately desperately needs a relief road or a bypass. Now the good news is there is a bit of good news in this and the Cork County Council have just received funding for a, a visibility study. Now I know anyone who gets caught in traffic said, you know really you want a, vi- um, a feasibility study everybody knows this road is needed but in order for them to progress on to getting the money that would be needed to build a relief road, road then you know feasibility studies must be done so we'll talk about that on the programme today. A member of Angarda Shia Corner will join us for 
for this week's uh, Crime File and Jane Pickett, our resident vet, will join us uh, after half past 12 today. Now, as we've been reporting all week, serious damage was caused to equipment at the Fremont Water Treatment Plant in a fire that occurred at an electrical plant at the facility on Sunday last. Joining me with the latest on this uh, from Irish Water, I'm joined in studio uh, by Neil Smith. Um, Good morning to you, Neil. And uh, you're you're very welcome to studio. Uh, I suppose the first thing, nobody was injured and it is, that's the most important part, isn't it? It is. um, On on Sunday, we had a a significant fire at our treatment facility in, in, in Fremont. And uh, luckily, there was no one there at the time and okay. no one was hurt. Uh, and the emergency services, uh, uh, the fire brigade were on the scene extremely quickly uh, to put the blaze under control. Uh, and and you're right that there was no one hurt. And that's the main thing. However, we have a significant uh, outage in terms of water supply for a large area in northwest County Cork. How many households do you reckon or people are affected? We, 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 we have 1,300 approximately connections, okay. both domestic and commercial, served normally served by this scheme, uh, and a population in the order of about 3,500. But mm. it's also a large rural area, so we have a lot of farms, a lot, yeah. a lot of agricultural connections. Uh, yeah, because, I mean, uh, we're talking about Fremont, Dromina, Liscarroll, Milford and the surrounding areas exactly, would, yeah. would normally be uh, supplied. So the fire was under control. Did it do a lot of damage? It completely destroyed a key electrical panel at the plant and oh, well. there was also some heat and smoke damage throughout the building. So I suppose... You know, when 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 this happened um, on 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 Sunday afternoon, the response was you know twofold. First of all, we knew that production was out and that our storage reservoirs across the scheme would be depleted uh, overnight, uh, and and we began transporting water into the scheme in order to uh, try to maintain supply in the lines. Okay. Uh, we also opened. Uh, valves from the adjoining uh, Charleville water supply scheme. That helped us to provide a a continuous supply uh, for water customers in the Dromina part of this this, uh, uh, Allo regional scheme, as it's called, supplied with water from Fremont. Um, uh, We also went to uh, assess, obviously, the damage and got specialist electrical contractors on site to understand exactly what had happened mm. and what... Because um, it's unusual, isn't it, of a fire at a water treatment plant? Yeah, I know. You'd think you'd have uh, plenty of water around yeah, to put yeah. it out. But we have large uh, mechanical and electrical components in at our treatment facilities. Um, and, and they require uh, significant electricity. And obviously, there's the generation of heat and, and a fire can can happen and the way we assess and mitigate the risk of, of fire is extensive but obviously we have an investigation now into how this was caused. To make sure that it never happens to again. To prevent it yeah. both here in Cork and nationally in terms of uh, the risks that present themselves. Um, so um, a plan was put in place then to start safely um, uh, 
uh, rebuilding distribution panels and drives, etc., and electrical components at the plant, uh, and to put in a temporary power source. We have a generator at the site because the, the, the mains from ESB has been temporarily disconnected for safety reasons from the plant. And uh, what's been happening since is that we've been installing that, that equipment while a deep clean of the plant is underway. And each stage of the treatment process um, uh, in terms of the clarification of water, the settlement of water, the filtration of water, each of those complex stages of treatment that normally happen at the plant are being brought in uh, 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 to test to understand that they're working and we'll, we're, we're hoping to complete all of those tests and to prove that the plant can produce potable water, uh, 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 that we'll do that at some stage hopefully this evening. Okay, and so then, if that is done and everything's cleared this evening, does that mean water back tomorrow? What that means then is we can start lifting uh, water up into the, the, the main central regional reservoir and okay. then start to fill the network. It will that take, will take time. It will take time. It'll take a number of days, really. This okay. is a, a large scheme, about 150 kilometres of pipe and also all the service connections off the off off the pipes. I mentioned agricultural. Yeah. We, we'll have every, you know, potentially tank in fields all being filled, every tank in everyone's attic. It'll take time for the whole system to fill and also during that time we'll experience it, it's likely that we'll experience airlocks in the network and what that means is that parts of the mains have been emptied we're filling them with temporarily with tankers to keep the mm. supply going as best we can in the meantime but airlocks will develop and they'll need to be resolved we'll be flushing lines there could be a risk of bursts on the line because of they've been depressurized and now they'll be repressurized so yeah. We really appreciate, I think, the, the, the patience of the community since this fire occurred on Sunday because it's an enormous inconvenience. We all know it and, and, and we kind of take it's it for o- granted. It's only when the it's like electricity. Yeah. It's only when the water goes or the lights go off that you realise how much we take it for granted. Exactly. And, 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 and you've been doing your, and along with Cork County Council, you've been doing your best to try to supply people with water with the tankers. And I know I personally mentioned Councillor Ian Doyle who was running around yesterday with truckloads of bottled water so you've been doing the best you can to supply people with water uh, yeah the, 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 there's huge efforts um, from Cork County Council staff uh, and, and and with tankering suppliers to, to we have we have eight tankers uh, moving water from surrounding areas to fill reservoirs and to fill water into pipelines um, as I said we've opened up the Charleville supply which gives us a feed from Dromina and what this kind of brings us is either continuous or intermittent supply to, to most the, the vast majority of the scheme that's that's currently disconnected from Fremont but there are high areas of high ground and connections at the extremities of the network that will be without water and we're and, not in a position and to, they will be the last to get it as well won't also, they? exactly yeah. they'll also be the last to be restored so for for, for we, we, we've also established temporary water stations at six locations uh, and, and we're distributing bottled water throughout it. And mm. you mentioned Ian uh, and others in the community spirit is enormous to Fantastic. distribute bottled water to, to people, particularly vulnerable people who are, you know, who, perhaps who not able get to get to the, yeah. to the stations. Yeah, they've been great. They, they've been great. OK, so we're basically saying it will be the next 
few days anyway? It, Why not? You it, can't be, give us a definite as to when everything is going to be back up and running. I, I think over the course of the weekend, we'd hope to get things get things resolved and that by Monday. Yeah, will be will be okay. okay. I mean, that's the hope, and it's a complex arrangement, and it's a complex response. And our our hope is to get water producing through the plant and into distribution this evening, and then it will take a number of days, days. for it to fill okay. in the next. So just so. continue uh, uh, patience. That's what what is required. All right, uh, Nielsen, thank you for that, and uh, thanks for joining thanks us very in, much, in the studio. Good morning to you. That is Neil Smith of Irish Water. And a lovely text in from Donal Cullinan asking us to wish the very best of luck to the Mill Street Set Dancers. They are in the All Ireland Final tomorrow, which is taking place in. Drogheda. Best of luck to everybody there, the Mill Street set dancers. Now, Mary has, one of our listeners, has contacted us to talk about the problems she's having, getting a visa for her husband to allow him to live here in Ireland with her. Mary's husband, Eric, currently lives and works in Italy and he is a native of Ghana. And Mary joins me with more on this story. Good morning to you, Mary. Uh, and you, you're welcome to the programme. I suppose let's t- talk a little bit of the background here. How and when did you and Eric meet? Um, Eric and myself met seven years ago. It's nearly going into eight years now. And um, uh, yeah, the rest is history. <laughs> <laughs> so you met, fell in love and you got yeah. married when? Got married three years ago. Three years ago, August. Yeah. And where did you marry? We got married over in Germany. It was I I I wanted because he was living in Germany for a couple of years. So um I was going back and forth there. So I yeah, that's where it happened. And he's now in Italy. Now in Italy, yeah, and he's after finding work and yeah, things are good, but they're not good if you don't understand me. Yeah, things are good except he wants to be with his wife and you want to have your husband with you. Obviously, yeah. yeah. And um, now, my emotions are all over the place, Patricia, so I could go from <laughs> to angry. Okay. All right. We, 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 we would be conscious of that. How oh, long, okay, how long is Eric living in Europe? When did he Eric, leave Ghana? He's living, he is living in Europe with 10 years, if not more. What, um, why did he leave Ghana? Um, he just wanted to better his life, I guess, you know. And does he have EU citizenship? He hasn't got citizenship, but he's got a, uh, it, in Italy, it's um, known as a, like a residence card. Okay. So he's allowed, he's allowed to live and work in Italy and he's allowed to travel the length and breadth of Europe, but can't enter the UK or Ireland without a visa. And, and that's because Ghana is one of the countries where we insist on a visa, is yeah. it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And and he's applied for a visa. I applied for a visa for him about uh, oh two years ago, and it was refused. They had lots of grounds. We fixed them. We fixed everything. I applied for it a second time. They had the problem that came back was mainly that I'm in receipt of disability allowance, which is not my fault. And because it's a social welfare payment, they won't allow him in because I can't afford to take care of him. 
on a social welfare payment. I'm on the social welfare payment 20 years. It's not that it's going to be cut off tomorrow or next year. Do you understand me? Yeah. Um, so if anything, they're after making things more difficult for me because now financially I have to go and visit him. Um, but if is but is the but okay if if Eric gets a visa to mm. come to Ireland to be with you, is his plan not to work? Yes. Would he Eric, need Would he need a separate work permit? I'm not sure about that, but I was told just that I've been working with NASC in the city, and yeah. uh, they told me that because I'm after applying for the D visa, the spouse visa, that any other visa now wouldn't count because um, they know that I want him here. Uh, yeah. It's just all rigmarole that I, some of it I can't understand, you know. But when they came back and said you were on a disability allowance so you wouldn't be able to afford to keep him, w- were you able to appeal that and say, well, his plan is to keep himself and, and, and I'm assuming well, help, help to maintain you, his wife? Well, they got that they got that in the first visa and they got it in the second visa. So now Eric wants to defer this visa. I wanted to try again. Eric wants to defer this visa for, oh Lord God, about six, a year because he wants to secure, make sure that his work is secure in Italy. And the problem is whether he's work in Italy or not, that they don't care. The Irish embassy don't care what... <sighs> We're just a number. And I'm on the disability allowance and that's the... But the disability allowance, correct me if I'm wrong, isn't that a means-tested payment? Yes. So if Eric came to this country and got a job as your husband and was maintaining you, technically he could be saving the state money because you could lose your disability allowance if he was earning enough. Yes. Were you able to put any of those points to them? Not this time. Well, we tried, and Fiona in that tribe, they don't care. I'm on a social welfare payment, full stop. I've been to TDs, I've been to God, I've been all over the place. I've been to TDs, and the only thing I'm getting back is that it's a social welfare payment. And if my my circumstances don't change, forget about it. Well, I'm not forgetting about it. It's taken me guts and a lot of guts and courage to come on the radio, to go as far as coming down the radio, you know? Yeah. And I have I have to say thanks to a guy in Cork because this, because I saw his story during the week that gave me the courage to do it, you know? And what's the guy in Cork? Is he in a similar situation? Well, he's trying to get his wife into the country but the circumstances are different. Okay. You know? But but if you were if you weren't on a disability allowance and you yeah. were working are you saying I, that Eric would be here with you if you were working? I, I'm only presuming now, according to what they're saying to me, the, the Irish embassy, what the documentation and getting back, that yes, if I was working and had a well, good paid job, he'd be here with me in long ago. But that seems like discrimination against somebody on social welfare. It, it is. That's what they told me inside NASC in the city. They're discriminating against me because I'm, I'm on disability. It's not my fault I'm on disability. And if I, I'm sorry, Patricia, but 
if anything, they're aggravating my condition, if you understand me. I suffer from uh, anxiety and they just don't. And this is making it worse. They don't care about the person. And when you and when you and Eric got married, did you believe that it would just be a simple case of applying for a spousal visa? No, 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 no. We knew it would. We know we. Do you know, we didn't even think about it. We were just two people that we were so happy, you know, we were just in love. Yeah. And the thing is, I got a second chance, you know, I got a second chance and they're taking that away from me. I got a second chance and Eric has been there with me through thick and thin. He's been, he's the person I contact if anything is going wrong with me here. He's my support, even though it's in the, on the, but it's on the phone. My, just a personal thing, a couple of things that happened. I had a minor operation there last year, and he was the one that was on the phone with me. That, you know, that was with me through it and afterwards. And my father passed away a year and a half ago. Eric was the one that was on the phone with me that I was that I could turn to, you know. So they don't... I know it's very personal to me. and <sighs> But they don't see or, or hear or, uh, that. How often do you get to meet in person, Mary? I get to go... To, I try and get to go to him maybe four or five times a year. When were you last in Italy? July. July. Has he, has he come over here for a holiday? No... That's my that's my own fault again. That's my own doing again. I wouldn't let him come on a holiday visa because I said I said uh, if he came, I wouldn't let him go back. So <laughs> so <laughs> looking back now, I should have left him come on the holiday. And yeah, you want to do everything above board and not. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're, we're too honest, genuine people. We're not, you know, we're. Even we, Eric wouldn't come here under, you know, false pretenses. Yeah. And uh, the the other question that has to be asked: Would you not go to Italy to be with him? I'd be after leaving the country long ago. But all my support system is here. I am on, because with the disability, I'm on medication, a a few medications. Even though Eric has work, he hasn't enough to support me to get my medication and blah, blah, blah in Italy, if you understand what I mean. He doesn't earn enough. He's not earning enough to, my medication is a lot of money and I need that medication. Now, I'm trying to come off it, but... Look, it wouldn't work. I've tried it. In all honesty, in honesty, Patricia, I've gone over and stayed long term. Well, a few months, and I ran back. I can't do it. I just, I can't live in another country. I'm not able to. <laughs> and he's, but he's willing to move here and live here with you. Yeah, we just want to get on with our married life and just be normal, two normal people. I'm gonna. 
there's going to come a day when I won't be able to travel. And, I mean, like Eric said to me, if anything did happen to me in Italy, he wouldn't even be able to bring me home, you know? So... And does he go back to Ghana? Has he family in Ghana? He has been back to Ghana over the Christmas and New Year and every day in Ghana we were still on the phone. Do you understand? Yeah, have you been to Ghana to meet his family or anything? No, my plan was to try and get there someday. I've been talking to his family on the phone and blah, 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 blah. And, uh, um, but Patricia, I know in my heart and soul I wouldn't survive going to another country Look, I know myself. Okay. I know me. You know. Oh, yeah, yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. And as you say, you suffer from anxiety, and and, yeah. and you're and, and you're battling those demons, and and you're trying to keep on top uh, on top of them. Um, okay. So the reason for highlighting it is to see there are obviously other people have found themselves in the same situation you're in. So just to see if anyone can offer any advice or where anyone feels you can go from here. How do you get around this? Because at the moment live in limbo and I'm not giving up I was even I mean I've gone to the stage in my head where I've been thinking of going up outside Inish and in Dublin and protesting but sure what good would that do but I'm even going to I'm I'm even going to you know as a last resort I'll do it but they can't they can't I know there's people coming into the country there's loads of foreigners coming into I know all that but this is my husband. We've been together. We've a history. We've been through thick and thin. We've been. We've been through. Uh, you know, we've been through a lot together. And how? Where did you? How did you first meet Eric? <laughs> it's it's okay to say it because lots of other people have met the love of their life the same way. <laughs> you met online. Yeah, yeah. You met online, and and the relationship started online, did it? Yeah, and after about a year, I went to meet him. And the thing is, uh, I've had so much support. The support I've because people have known my life before Eric. Yeah, and people have seen me since I met Eric, and they've seen the progression that I've. It's the, oh, that's you know, lovely. That's lovely. He's made. He's made a difference. He's made a difference. He's made a difference. Chance, and I don't want Inish or the Irish Embassy, whoever they are, some man in a suit making this decision for me. You okay. know. All right. All right. Well, you've 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 told you've told the story really well, uh, Mary. We'll oh. keep in contact with you, and if sad. anybody out there can offer advice, please do. Oh. Listen, look after yourself, okay? All right. And uh, and thanks Thank for joining you. us. Uh, bye bye. Eighteen fifty three 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 one zero three. Mary and her husband Eric, a native of Ghana, and uh, even though they're married, she can't get him a visa to live here. Anyone with advice who can help her, please do. Uh, text or WhatsApp oh eight six two. 
1,600 euro. Thank you very much. Simon's Celebrity Seas on C103. In June of this year, Friends of Clonakilty Community Hospital was officially launched and in order for people to find out more about the group, an open day is going to be held at the hospital tomorrow. The chairman of the Corda Clonakilty Community Hospital is Minister Jim Daly who uh, joins me. Good morning to you, Jim. Good morning, Patricia. Now, Jim, what's the main aim of this new group? Well, I suppose the new group card, as it suggests, which is Friends, the Irish for Friends, is really to support the work that is being done at the hospital. There is wonderful work going on there, full stop. But we like to see ourselves much more than just a fundraising committee, which is often what can happen when the Friends of a hospital has mm. been established, that you just end up going around with buckets collecting money. Whereas what we have spoken to the management at the hospital, and they're very, very enthusiastic about, is that we are effectively a support group for you know developments at the hospital, that we are pushing new initiatives at the hospital, that we are trying to involve the community back into the hospital, bring the community back into the community hospital. So to make sure that business people and that all local residents are familiar with the work that goes on there, that people are in and out and that it becomes a hub of the community, that people are interacting with the residents there, that uh, people who are good at storytelling come up, people who play music, people who might like to do bingo a day a week, all of these kind of things just include the community. Yeah, the name is in the title, so why not have it part of the community? That's the kind of general idea. Yeah, I was always very um, adamant about that for the last seven or eight years. I've been working with the hospital there at some level or other, but obviously it's, it's up a notch now in my new job. But um, I was always very adamant that the community had to be central to what went on at the hospital and that the hospital had to be part of the community because at the end of the day, there's over 100, there's 122 beds up there. So there's well over 100 residents long term. So that is their home and they're part of our community. So it is very essential that it's not seen as a hospital removed from the community, but rather that it's a facility within the community and that it's part of the community and that the community is part of that and it has to be a two-way. You can't just have, and that's why we have particularly targeted the business people to come tomorrow, because you can't just, you know, they're fantastic anytime we go out looking for support for anything to do with the hospital. We had a barbecue there uh, a couple of months ago in Artfield uh, and we went around to the businesses and they literally were so decent and so generous and so kind uh, we we could not believe the level of goodwill that existed among the businesses so we you know we believe it shouldn't be all one way we'd like the businesses and the public at large to come back up to the hospital and that's why we have an open day tomorrow and see there is some amazing improvement because the the, the people of the area jim hold this hospital in such high esteem don't they they do. It's incredible. I mean, I, I would challenge any listener to, to text in a negative comment about the care that they've received at the hospital. And that's not nothing to do with the friends of the hospital. That is from the staff, uh, the very committed and the staff and management at the hospital. But the care in this facility is just exceptional. I mean, people are so... And then you have three very different, um, if you like, aspects to this. You have the, the long-term residential care, which it is home to some of our most valued citizens who have lived their lives in, in our community and can no longer, unfortunately, for whatever reason, live independently at home. Then you have the respite care, which is a very, very valued facility where people can go in for a week or two of respite uh, to take a break and allow family members to go on holidays or family members to have a break as well. And then thirdly, you have the new dimension to the hospital, which is the transitional care unit. Which how, how are they? Are they con- There's 14 beds, isn't it? 
14 beds, yes, uh, Patricia, 14 beds in the traditional care unit. And effectively what those 14 beds do is they free up 14 beds in CUH all day, every day. Um, people from CUH who've had a procedure, who've had an operation, who've had a, you know, whatever illness, they can come down to Clonakilty to finish their recuperation as soon as they're finished with the, the medical side of it above in CUH or they've had their procedure or their operation. They can come down here to convalesce for a week or 10 days or two weeks, whatever is deemed necessary or appropriate, so that people can move out of the acute hospital hospital much faster and come down to Clonakilty and recuperate and you know make, free up the beds in CUH for people who are more acutely unwell. Are they there. constantly in use? They're constantly in use. Right. They're very, very hugely in demand and the care there, I mean, I, I spoke to several families who've uh, had people staying there in all different stages of life. Some people have end of life uh, there, some people have had, you know, have been, you know, many young people come there at different stages of life and they all just praise the care that they get there to the high heavens. And they love getting out of CUH, which is so busy and so frantic and so frenetic, and coming down to the calm, tranquil, caring thrones that is Clonacilty Transitional Care Unit. Uh, and it is a passing through, you, you know, you're never there for long term. Yeah, you just come in yeah. For a week and, and I always feel for the family as well to have their loved one closer to home. You, you know, that, that constant, no, nothing wrong with CUH, but that constant journey going up and down if you're in and out every day trying to visit a loved one, much better to have them on your doorstep in, in Clonakilty Community Hospital. It is. And, and by the same token, and they come there from everywhere, um, but it's, you know, traditionally it's, it's focused on the West Cork area and, and that's where it is mostly aimed at. But, I mean, I spoke to a family not so long ago whose uh, loved one was in there from Inishannon. And I said to him, is it a bit awkward for you now having to come to Clonakilty? Would it not have been easier to continue to, to travel to CUH yeah. from Inishannon? And they turned around and said, Minister, the care we got in Clonakilty Hospital, we would travel the world. Oh, it's not fantastic, so, I mean, isn't it? Yeah, actually, I remember interviewing a woman a couple of years ago who got offered, her husband got offered a procedure in Bantry Hospital. They were waiting on a waiting list for CUH and they couldn't get over the care and attention. So I think a lot of those smaller hospitals, they have such a, a role to play. Are, are, is there also plans for redevelopment at the hospital? Have you an update on that? There is, there is indeed, yeah. Obviously, to keep the, the hospital up to the standards of Hickway and that's why we want people to come up, first of all, to on Friday. The open day, by the way, is between 2 o'clock and 4 o'clock tomorrow, Friday. Everybody is welcome. Everybody and anybody is welcome to come up and just visit the hospital and see there has been an amazing transformation there already. What we're trying to do is very much dry, support the management in their drive to create a home more than a hospital. So to bring in bright colours, soft furnishings, pictures, paintings, you know, uh, very comfortable furniture bright pillows and cushions and all of that kind of thing. So to make it into a homely environment for people who it is home to, rather than the clinical hospital look that goes with a lot of these uh, nursing homes. Okay, well done. And secondly, there is a major redevelopment that takes place at the hospital. That's a five and a half million euro redevelopment to bring it all up to the standards of HICWA and planning is in for that with Cork County Council at the moment. We're hoping that'll come true in the coming weeks. Money available? The money is available. As soon as we as soon as we have the the planning secured, work will begin at Clonakilty Community Hospital to to radically redevelop it and bring it up to the most modern standards possible. Okay, so open day. It's tomorrow afternoon. People can just feel free to pop in to the hospital between two and four. And this is an initiative I want to stress of the management of the hospital, Mary Nolan and her team and of management up there and the staff who are driving this to bring people into the hospital and they really, really want people to come up and see what's going 
rely on there and become part of, of the, I suppose, the, the rejuvenation that's happening at Clonakilty Community Hospital. OK, I don't know if you can answer this or not, but Michael says, well, you've got Minister Daly uh, on. Does he have any news on the reopening of the Garda station in Balance Spittle? Having met Minister Flanagan earlier this year when he visited West Cork, the local community alert committee in Balance Spittle got the impression that the Garda station would be reopening during the summer, yet nothing appears to be happening. Yeah, that, that, that timeline has shifted towards the end of the year, I think. I don't have it off the top of my head, but I know I have an update on it. Uh, it is... Uh, I think the works are continuing there at the moment. I'd say as we speak, Michael is probably able to confirm that. I'm guessing he's a local, uh, that the works are, are done and I would say almost done the works that need to be done there. And then it's a matter for the, the Gardaí, obviously, to open it uh, when those works are completed. We had hoped that would happen by June and June was the initial timeline. That has slipped into, I think, it's either October or November from memory. But it is still very much on track to happen and is going to happen. Um, and those works, you know, will be completed by the OPW. The problem being there was a number of Garda stations tied up in a bundle. And if there's a problem in one Garda station, that holds up the three or four other Garda stations because they were all part of the same contract. But look, these things happen and the times lines always slip. But it is on track to be opened before the end of the year. I can assure Michael of that. And, you know, Garda management in will obviously look to the staffy of it. OK, I've got one minute if you can answer this. Jim and Cross Barry says, ask Jim what are his thoughts on the situation in Shannon Airport this morning? An airport basically shut down because of an American Air Force. And it's an American plane is closing the airport and stopping commercial flights. Uh, I don't have any detail other than what I've seen on media that there is an incident there. Look, whether it's an American Air Force uh, Force plane or whether it's a passenger jet, uh, safety is paramount, absolutely paramount. And I suppose all precautions have to be taken, you know, and that will inconvenience people. But they will always put people's safety, whether it's Air Force personnel or whether it's uh, regular passengers. They all have to be treated the same when it comes to airline safety, I would imagine. But look, I don't have any more detail of it, uh, Patricia. What's okay. Happened, all right. And I'm just seeing the latest coming in is they're, they're making efforts to remove the Boeing 767 from the runway so that the other flights can resume. All flights have been suspended since half past six. OK, we leave it there, Jim. Listen, thank you for that. Not at all. And Thanks, uh, Patricia, thank you for, for joining us. And people are more more than welcome to go along to Clonakilty Community Hospital for their open day tomorrow between 2 and 4pm. 1850-333-103. John Paul taking your calls. Text WhatsApp 0862-103-103. Every Friday, we're counting down to the weekend, the weekend. by turning up the Feel Good. C103's Feel Good Friday brings you six hours of Feel Good Greatest Hits. Join Nick Richards from 1 and Martina O'Donoghue from 4 as we get you weekend ready. Weekend ready. Turning up the feel good for Cork. For Cork. Every Friday from 1. Feel good Friday only on C103. You're listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Now, as we know, sadly, 10 people have died on Cork roads so far this year and six of the fatalities have been in the North Cork area and that's just over the past month. With that in mind, Gardaí launched a safety checkpoint outside New Tupot House this morning and that, of course, was where the latest fatality occurred just last Monday morning. Fiona Corkman, our senior news reporter, uh, went along and she actually joins me in studio. Good morning to you. Good morning, um, Fiona. So what was the idea? Describe what they did this 
morning at New Teapot House. Okay, so they had a checkpoint outside to New Teapot House and they were stopping cars, but they used it as well as an opportunity to invite the media to come along and to give out an appeal to motorists to be careful. Um, and I think um, they, they chose New Teapot House because it was the place of the latest fatality. But also they wanted to um, put out this appeal now at this time of the year because we're coming into what's deemed a high risk period now between the end of August coming into September. I suppose the weather is changing, the light is changing, there's going to be more traffic again on the roads with schools going back. So they wanted to get out a message to people to be extra careful on the roads. Um, Now, we heard about uh, the North Cork, as you mentioned there, and um, nationally there have been 93 fatalities on the roads this year, and that's six more than last year. So there has been an increase. It's funny because I was thinking about that during the week when when we were mentioning that figure of the six fatalities in the North Cork area in one month, which seems Mm. like a very high figure. And I was wondering, are overall our figures up so they are, they are up, up yeah mm. they are up wow. um, and it's uh, we, we were talking to uh, now S- Superintendent um, Edmund Golden came down from the National Roads Policing Bureau and he spoke to us about the national figure and Inspector Joe O'Connor from the North Cork Roads Policing Unit also spoke to us just about Cork in particular and I've given you some um, um, interviews from them but uh, Edmund Golden was saying that um, you know you've got the, the main things again of speed um, driver distraction through mobile phone usage in particular um, you've got alcohol and drug driving and the not wearing of seat belts and you know, I, I often wonder about these guard appeals because they say of the, this to people but are they I don't think they're actually listening do you know um, you uh, drive a lot as part as yeah. part of what you do yeah. the, the mobile phone one is a big bugbear of mine and it every is. now and again particularly if we talk about it on the radio when I'm in the car after these kind of interviews I'll Every time I'm at a traffic light, mm-hmm. I look around and I guarantee you I will never park at a set of traffic lights where I won't see at least one yeah. on and, a mobile phone. Um, what was interesting yesterday um, up on social media, somebody had posted a picture of a woman who had a mobile phone on her dashboard and she was actually watching a television programme on the mobile phone and other people didn't seem to think that there was anything wrong with it. They said that they do it all the time or they might have it there or they might listen to it. Um, and I th- we were asking um, Superintendent Golden as well about mobile phone and that's the clip that I've sent you because um, he was saying that the amount of people who use their phones now to check Twitter and Facebook and Instagram to text people and they do it as well when they're on the traffic lights and he said it's still an offence because you're still behind the wheel and the car is still turned on so it is still an offence. I think a lot of people think that Oh it's okay it's I'm okay, at the traffic I've, lights. I've, I've stopped. Okay so said, this, is, this is Superintendent Edmund Golden of the National Roads Policing Unit on the use of mobile phones while driving. I think we're coming into a new era now where pe- the distraction in the uh, motorists is becoming far more wider. The use of mobile phones historically was you'd put the phone up to your ear. Now we're finding more and more evidence that people are checking it at traffic lights, checking social media, checking social media on the move. This type of behaviour is a killer behaviour. It definitely will affect the figures going forward. If you're in the vehicle or if you're in the, uh, the car or truck or wherever it might be, you need to put the phone away. It is not acceptable that you would risk everybody's safety for just a moment or two to check your social media account. It, it is absolutely wrong. There is a penalty. Holding a mobile phone is an offence, three penalty points. We are enforcing that as well. Uh, it is quite difficult at times for people to see the correlation between 
being just on social media and uh, driving. However, it's obvious to us because we see the statistics, we see the fatalities, we're seeing the serious collisions. The distraction driving is a major factor in that going forward and it's something that people should stop immediately to do it. The minute you get into the phone or into the car, sorry, you need to stop using that phone. I would also say to passengers and vehicles, they have a responsibility in this. If there's somebody driving a vehicle who's starting to uh, look at their phone, they need to interject at that stage and say it is not acceptable. We need everybody to take responsibility for this. And when it comes to mobile phone use, is there a specific age profile or is it right across the demographics? The, the mobile phones, everybody now has a mobile phone. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when you look at it, it's an age dynamic. We have everybody on Facebook, Twitter, all these different accounts. Yeah. So really, it's a habit that people are getting into. It's something that we need to break that habit and we need going forward for people to take personal responsibility for this. And just to remind people, when they're stopped at traffic lights and they're on their phone, is that still an offence? Once they're holding that mobile phone, it is an offence. And I would say... Uh, it could even go into the rounds of driving without due care and attention because you're not uh, looking at the traffic, you're not looking around, you're missing the green traffic light coming on, you're causing disruption on the roads as well. So we want to make sure that uh, from an enforcement point of view, we're finding it more and more, particularly in the towns and cities, that people are on their um, phones while stopped, but also when on the move. And once you're on the move, the, the risk associated with that is increasing tenfold. Okay, that's um, Edmund Golden trying to get that message out about mobile phone use. I I mean, to me, the best one is, and I know I've heard the RSA say it, just switch it off before you get in. Do you really need to have a phone on that badly in a car? And what they're looking at in England at the minute is just banning mobile phones completely because do you know the way now with cars you have you've obviously got the bluetooth system but sometimes now in cars you've got the whole display up in your dashboard i even have it now in the new car in the yeah. new car and um you know i suppose like even that can be distracting because you're still pressing buttons and you know you're you're looking at the you're distracted you are yeah you are. so they're looking at yeah. just banning it completely yeah. so I, I don't know it's something I, that they're looking at here but I don't know if they're actually going to bring it in I think it was it will save lives now you also spoke with inspector joe o'connor what did joe yeah, Joe O'Connor is um, the North Cork policing unit. He is, yeah, and he spoke about the fact that we've had six um, deaths in the North Cork region in the past few weeks, which is very, very high, and it's very unfortunate and very sad for the families involved. Um, and he said that um, he was talking about just in general what um, they have been seeing out in the roads in the last while, and he was talking about speed in particular. He said that they're noticing a huge increase in the amount of people who are speeding and the speed at which they're going. At and he talked about one motorist in particular who has been uh, charged with dangerous driving but he was caught driving 238 kilometres an hour on the M8 I didn't even know a car could go that fast you know it's it's just absolutely insane here is Inspector Joe O'Connor recently we had one motorist travelling at 238 kilometres per hour on the M8 motorway Uh, he was arrested for dangerous driving these speeds range from what I said, 238 uh, kilometres down to 180, 190, which is not access- acceptable. Uh, our roads policing members are out there on the roads. We're there not to persecute people, but we ha- we have to get the message across. It's not acceptable to drive at those speeds. And uh, overall, nationally, the speed is up. Speed detection is up 48 percent. And in Cork North Division, I've noticed that there's a, a similar trend in this division. What would they be doing on the rural roads? Rural roads, they could be uh, say the the, the 80, 80 roads. They could be doing 140, 150. This is what my members on the ground are. The statistics can show that this is the driving uh, in our 
rural areas of Cork North Division. And is this a specific um, um, age range or is it right across the age Well, I suppose there is uh, a lot of these are would be more younger drivers, but there is uh, uh, age, uh, older people as well, but uh, young, some younger people, yes, would be at the, the profile, yes. What's it going to take to get these drivers to slow down? I mean, are they going to listen to the guards? Are they listening to the road safety authority? They're obviously not if they're doing those kinds of speeds. Well, it's obvious, like, from those speeds that they're not. But, as I said, we're not here to, to prosecute everybody or persecute everybody. We are here to enforce the, the legislation. And uh, we have to be seen to be out on these roads and preventing, when we can, preventing accidents like this. Like, these families have enough of tragedy in their lives, you know. So we, as I say, we're here, we're doing these checkpoints and we're doing these speeds, the detections, and we, there will be more f- uh, frequent. Uh, again, I would say to anyone that are using our roads, when you get on the road, you wear your seatbelt, you drive within the limit, and you do not um, use your mobile phone and never, ever drink and drive. In Cocknar Division last weekend, there was three arrests for drug driving detections in Cocknar Division. So that's another thing that's on the up. And I've seen an increase in this over the year of drug driving detections within the Cocknard Division. No surprise there. And it's interesting that they're starting to catch people drug driving because mm. people always thought, oh, we'll get away with it. Yeah, but was, not was no, anymore. Was, and I think no at the test. weekends they're making a particular uh, focus on drink and drug driving. And he said, um, interestingly enough, that the most uh, common day for accidents on the roads is a Sunday. And I asked him, was that because people are maybe tired or hungover yeah. from the day before? And he said they don't know or it could be people, a lot more people would be out doing, going for a family drive. And there's maybe a lot more cars on the road or a lot more s- slow cars on the road. So um, it's hard to know. But Sunday is the day where most accidents happen. He he also spoke as well um, you know I had asked him um, if these appeals are enough of a deterrent to drivers because do they you work know, are they working um, and we asked him as well about checkpoints and he said that they do um, carry out as many checkpoints as they can but um, in the North Cork division they just don't have enough manpower um, and that's the next clip that I have there for you Patricia like they don't have enough manpower to have checkpoints on all the roads at all times but they particularly are particularly the ones tra- that they would like to have so this is yeah. Joe Connor Trump the number of Gardaí mm-hmm. in the North Cork Roads Policing Unit. Of I would uh, rather have more p- Roads Policing members and uh, the more uh, the more I have, the more I can have out on the road. But uh, like again, it's down to manpower. The manpower levels we have, we can only, we can only do with what we have. But again, I would, of uh, course I would have. Uh, in, uh, in total, we have 20 Gardaí. There's six hours of 20 Gardaí and myself. But again, going back, uh, we had 34 initially when we started off. Gardaí. Yeah, that's, yeah. So when initially when the roads policing unit started off, there's uh, Mallow, Middleton and, and uh, Fermoyer, the three areas, you know. So we had 34 Gardaí at the peak. All right, that's uh, um, Inspector Joe O'Connor. Actually, Pat in the city said they need to get more Gardaí out on the road. The exact mm-hmm. point that Joe is making, he said the amount of motorists you will notice around the tunnel in particular on their phones, unbelievable, especially at rush hour when there's a queue. No, there's never a Gardaí around to catch them. Why do they not have more Gardaí out on, on the roads? Once upon a time, you'd see Gardaí walking the beast. But, this, but I mean, we're back to exactly what Joe mm-hmm. O'Connor is saying, isn't it? There's just... There's just not enough. 
and on the mobile phones a lot of people commenting on the mobile phones saying we have to do something to stop mobile phone use uh, somebody said how did we manage before when we didn't have a mobile phone you drove from A to B and if somebody needed to contact you you had to wait until you got to B and someone else says why can't they come up with something that when you put your key in the ignition your phone would automatically switch off and I think it just shows how addicted we have become to our phones and how contactable we are and if we're not you know, if we if we miss a call or if we miss a tweet, that you know the world is going to end. And, and it's, it's not. It's just it's and not. It, and it's not. Know? Now you also spoke with a biker. I did. I spoke to a motorcyclist. Um, he's from just outside um, um, Charleville. Mike Scanlon was his name. Now he's been on the motorbike for the last five years. And when I spoke to him, he had been one of the motorcyclists that the guards pulled over and we were chatting to him and he was decked out in all the gear. And I was actually really surprised. He had all the leathers on him, but underneath that he had like a steel panel on his front and on his back and he had the helmet. Um, now he, he said to me that you know, he doesn't see a lot of checkpoints out on the roads, but he is very uh, and he does see like a lot of people speeding. But he also spoke to me about the importance of wearing this protective gear on a motorbike. And I, you can hear that. OK, in the here he is. There. Here's Mike on his bike. Do you see a lot of guard the checkpoints on the roads? Oh, very well. We should see more. Uh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Whereas if you're doing things the right way, you've nothing to worry about. Just, you know, look after yourself. And so the girls won't need to fear with you as long as you're doing the right thing. If a young person is getting a motorcycle for the first time, what advice would you give to them? I suppose the training would be a big part of it, to get themselves proper, you know, training. By so with the IBT nowadays, you have to do it the right way. So that's basically it, like training, and just slow down and look after yourself. So you're just saying there, just about the gear that people should be wearing. Yeah, so like it's all, if you buy the proper stuff, it's all armoured. It's, it's made for a motorbike, you know. Jeans are not for a motorbike or a t-shirt. So you've got, you've got proper armour on Absolutely, you. yeah, everything is proper armour, yeah. Yeah. And the helmet, obviously. Yeah, so I'll see, you know, I'll let you know, the European. And do you see people not wearing this kind of equipment? Yeah, sure, I've seen them wearing shots, t-shirts, you know, a pair of runners. That's all fine until you fall off. You know, you might, like the guy had said, it might look cool, but... When you're above in the hospital with your skin gone off, it's not very cool then. That's exactly what I was thinking of you would be. Even if you survive, if you're lucky to survive, you'd be skinned just to come That's to come it. off one of the, one of those bikes. That's Mike Scannon, who is from, you say, outside the Charleville area? He's just outside he was coming the Charleville from, from, area, yeah. Because we're, unfortunately, motorcyclists are being killed. They are. We've had 10 motorcyclists who've died on the roads uh, so far this year. Um, and six of those people that we talked about from the North Cork area, three of them were motorcyclists. Um, and they range from all ages. It's not just young men um, you know they're just it's all ages and as, as Mike Scanlon was saying there there is protective gear that you can buy for a motorcycle but you see people especially in the summertime I think as well because wearing all that leather obviously is going to be very hot mm. but um, so you do see people wearing you know just jeans or shorts or whatever but he was saying you know you're coming off that bike especially at the speed that those bikes are going at there's nothing to protect you no. you just hit the road at no. full force and you know um, unfortunately this is what happens. You know, and I know over the years when I've been interviewing the various Gardaí from both North and West Cork on our on our weekly uh, crime file programme, many of the guards over the years we talk about that job of having to knock on somebody's door. Mm. And it, it just, 
it haunts all of them. They'll all remember every single time they've had to do yeah. it. They always remember the first time they had to do it. And it's dreadful. It's a horrible, horrible part of their job. It is. I remember talking to a paramedic one time and he said that when you come into the scene of a crash, you're nearly hoping that you do hear a scream because it means that the person Somebody's is alive. alive. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. you know, I, I just that always kind of stuck in my head. It's, tough. it's just it's awful, tough. isn't it? On a mobile phone use, somebody says, uh, Hi Patricia, interesting to hear you talking about the Road Safety Authority. Uh, saying that people shouldn't be using their mobile phone yet only on the programme yesterday you heard about the person who was doing his driving test and the tester had uh, mobile phone was ringing throughout the test yeah but I still think that that shouldn't have been happening I've never no, yeah I've never, I've never heard, heard it happen before and it wasn't that it rang once and he went oh sorry yeah. but he let it ring he rang a few times and I, I st- no the the young guy passed the driving test if he'd that failed would really I would have been I think yeah. it would as well yeah and on mobile phones uh, hi Trish what about drivers caught using mobile phones give them the penalty points first time round if they get caught a second time ban them from driving for a week and if they get caught on a second offence uh, put them off the road for a month mm. make the penalties uh, more severe Alright listen thank you for that uh, Fiona good to have you in studio um, <laughs> Thanks uh, for joining us that's Fiona Corcoran our senior news reporter C103 Jobs Port Gosh are currently recruiting experienced uh, gas service engineers it's for work in the greater Cork area an experienced dental nurse is wanted for work in a busy Clonakilty practice while Carebright they are recruiting home care assistants for Canturk, Formoy and Mitchellstown. And bathroom builders in Cork, they're looking for a skilled, qualified plumber for Cork City and County. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. C103 brings you Farm Talk with John O'Connor. Saturdays at 10am and Wednesdays at 10pm. New methods of slurry spreading are helping limit greenhouse gas emissions in farming. I suppose one big consideration with that is if you put out slurry with the band spreader on the trailing shoe, a lot of farmers are still familiarising themselves with the use of the equipment. Turn on Farm Talk with Dairy Gold Agribusiness for quality feed, expert service and support you can trust. Only on C103. Now, Cork County Council has welcomed the news that funding has been received to conduct a feasibility study into the need for a bypass of Castle Martyr. To discuss what a bypass would mean to the area, I'm joined by East Cork Fianna Fáil Councillor James O'Connor. Good morning to you, James. Good morning, uh, and, uh, Well, you, you are welcome. And just before we get into this, I'm just, uh, just getting a traffic report in. There's been an accident at the Annabella roundabout in Mallow and there are delays from the Killarney Road side for people coming into that area wondering what's going on. It's an accident at the Annabella roundabout. Now, back to Castle Martyr. Is it fair to say, James, that a relief road or a bypass for Castle Martyr is long, long overdue? It has been uh, overdue with a very, very long time. When I got when I ran for election this year in uh, at, at the locals this year, I did promise that I was going to try and address the traffic deficit that we have or the infrastructure deficit that we have to deal with our traffic in East Cork. We've had congestion problems in Cork running back a long time now with the South Ring Road and the N25. But Castle Martyr Village in the last few years has basically grown out of control. Um, look, I was calling for a feasibility study. We were going to send a, a, a team of councillors up from Cork County Council, supported by our Mayor Christopher Sullivan, to lobby uh, the Minister for Transport 
to basically see if we can get a feasibility study and get this project over the line. I'm delighted that the TII were listening to us and they have actually provided Cork County Council with the funding to carry out a feasibility study. So now just to explain to me, because people, you know, I, when I mentioned earlier that you were going to be joining me to talk about a feasibility study, I knew straight away we got texts and calls in from people saying, really? A feasibility study? What do you need a feasibility study? Everybody knows a bypass is needed. But it's important no, that a feasibility study is conducted. Of course, because it's, 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 to the listeners who are listening, that like it's your tax money that's going to be spent in this project, and a feasibility study basically outlines how much it's going to cost, where the route will go, where the correct place for the route to go. You'll have geological surveys, everything else involved with that. It doesn't. The feasibility study doesn't just mean that it's needed or not. It's, it's about everything else that will be involved in it to get a costing on the project. Look, I'm hopeful the cost will be kept low because we really badly need it. And you know, I'm based in the all in the Kill area of the East Cork or the Middleton LEA, and we're really really feeling the effects of this. I feel that it's the biggest barrier to industry and employment coming to Yall. Um, Yall has been lacking in industry for quite a while. I've been promising that I'm going to be working on that, but when I set out what I think was in the way of Yall attracting industry in rural towns such as Yall, Castle Martyr is a huge problem because we've got tailbacks multiple kilometres streaming out of the village on the main trading route between Cork and Waterford City. And, that is uh, and for people outside of the area who don't have to get stuck in this gridlock traffic, it's rush hours, isn't it? Morning and evening is the worst. Morning and evening, but I'm finding all day around. I can go into Captain well, Mark Sundays on a busy day at one o'clock in the, in the afternoon, two o'clock, the tailback starting to build up now, particularly on the western approach to Castle Martyr heading heading towards County Waterford and you know actually 20, 24,000 vehicles a day drive down a small village street it's an absolutely massive number I've spoke to some of the engineers yesterday in Cork County Council to get some more information and statistics on this but 24,000 vehicles a day dividing Castle Martyr into two so that's, it just shows how that's long incredible for a small village it is absolutely and the roads massive. the infrastructure was never built Never designed to take that volume of traffic. And you know, previous to my involvement in politics, I spoke to some people yesterday about this who would have been involved in, 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 in this idea maybe in the past. And they were saying that back during the Celtic Tiger, a lot of our major road infrastructure projects in Cork, they weren't interested in small solutions or medium-sized solutions. They wanted big plans. And there was plans put around that there would be massive relief roads built at the cost of hundreds of millions, but they all fell through. And perhaps if we had actually discussed dealing with the problem that was directly in front of us, that we would have a solution by now. But I think it's important now that this is on the agenda. Like in yeah. my opinion, it should have been on the National Development Plan and it wasn't. It wasn't until I ran to the locals that this became an issue. Now we have the feasibility study money, which is a major piece of progress. I'm delighted to and see And do, do, James, do commuters use other minor roads to try to avoid Castle Martyr, thereby causing problems in other villages? Yes, so the, the main relief road I, I, I find is actually the, the road from from the, from um, the two mile in um, to Mogili, which actually links Mogili Village up to the N25. And a lot of people who actually live on the N25, whether they're just living in office in Yall or in Killa, actually use the the, the the road to Mogili as their journey home, even though the main road brings them to the village anyway, because of the congestion in Castle Martyr. It's unfair in local residents that that is the case, but they either have that option. Or which would add an extra five minutes if there was no traffic. If they're stuck in traffic, they could be there 15, 20 minutes in the approach to the village, which, look, is simply not good enough. And, you know, this morning as well, we just have breaking news coming in today with the, that the Dunkettle project is going to be delayed yet again. And I really need to ask, what are we going to do to deal with congestion? Because I'm doing my very best in it, and I think it's about time that our TDs step up to the place. And, you know, a fact for your listeners today, County Cork has the lowest funding 
for linear meter of any local authority in Ireland. The lowest funding. The lowest and, funding. And that's got, no, that's got nothing to do with the fact that we've got the most roads. Well, we've, we've 12,500 kilometres and, and quite a lot of the road network is actually is actually national road, which is managed by the TII. But we have the, the, the lowest funding and that's why the roads are in such a state. I can see, I'm near the Waterford border in the County Cork side. I can see the, the difference between East Cork and West Waterford. And that's not down to the council staff. It's not down to County Hall. It's down, down to funding. Money that that's down to funding. And, and ultimately, James, a, a motorway from Cork to Waterford would solve the problems. But that's not well, planned and not been spoken about. Yeah, I think I heard uh, Minister Stanton quoting that, but that's pie in the sky. There's no money for, for such a project. It would cost hundreds of millions. And, I, I, you know, I think that we, to be, we have to be prudent with public, with taxpayers' money. That's, that's not going to happen. I don't think it'll happen in the next two decades or that the idea will even be put about because there's, there's, it's just simply, it, it'll be an extraordinarily expensive project. You'd have to go over the mountains in, 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 in West Waterford as well. Um, look, all we need is to get cattle marcher sorted, and whatever the feasibility study. Um, look, I, 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 I've faith in the NTA to come up or the TII to come up with a, with, with a solution to this problem because we need something in the short term. Okay, and uh, when the once the feasibility study comes out, and hopefully that will be done in a matter of months, do you reckon? Yes, months. It be done, I think and then uh, the area. would the construction of the relief road then would it fall under TII or does it have to be included in the National Development Plan? So the TII and County Council would both provide funding for such a project for the okay. and, and basically it, it's not going to be included on the National Development Plan. I've obtained documentation that shows that it wasn't put on us. It's not on the Ireland 2040 programme which in my opinion it should have been. It, that, was up, that was up to our national politicians to deliver on our politician and government and it, it didn't happen. But what we basically look, I, I think from a perspective, is just we need to get this done from a perspective of somebody living locally. This is having an awful effect on the local economy. And, you know, in the all, we have our Greenway coming, we have the Broadwalk extension coming for the, for the town, which would be a huge boost for tourism. And I think it's vital that we have, we can, we're able to reduce the journey time to Cork Airport and for, for local businesses as well to have easy access to Cork Airport and to the port. It would make it a more attractive location to invest. OK, I can see... Um, Message coming in from a listener saying a feasibility study. Is this not another excuse to kick the can down the road? You have the statistics on how many cars are going through the through the village. Do you just well, need to the, get I, on with it? There with the feasibility study. Like if that hadn't been done, this wouldn't be on the agenda. Now that the feasibility study is there, once it's complete, we will be lobbying hard to see that this project is brought to fruition. And it is up to our national politicians to deliver on it. Yeah, the feasibility and, study is good news because a week ago... It's more than just counting cars, the feasibility study. It's, it's, it's as you course, say, it's it, to work out where it should go, where exactly. the road should go. All right, um, James, thank you for that. By the way, because this is our first opportunity to speak to you as a newly elected uh, councillor, how are you getting on? Very good. It's, um, I'm one of our youngest councillors in, 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 in County Cork. We've, we've, we're doing very well at the minute. You know, it's just settling in. It's, um, look, it is a change of routine. Um, I'm absolutely delighted to, to, to have gotten elected. You know, I, I worked in politics for, for quite a while. and I spent three years working in the House of the Oireachtas, and I was 21 this year when I got in. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm very passionate about I can I can see that you can deliver good from, from working in public, public service. So I'm, ve- I'm very, very grateful to the people of the Middleton, like a local, lo- local electoral area, um, for giving me this opportunity, you know, I did promise that, that I was going to work on this issue. Look, I'm delighted to see that there is progress. Well done, well done, and, and it's good to uh, see, good to see young, young blood coming into the council. We'll speak again, James. Thank you for that. Thank you, Patricia, and uh, thanks for joining us. I'm just getting a text in from somebody saying that 
the Cork Road into Mallow is now completely gridlocked. I had announced that there is an accident on the Annabella roundabout. We were hearing about delays from the Killarney side, but somebody is backing that up by saying it's gridlocked coming in from the Cork side as well. So, if at all possible, try to avoid the roundabout in Annabella. But I'm now thinking that's not going to be completely possible for people because if you need to get, because the northbound lane of the Mallow Bridge is closed off while the boardwalk works it's underway if you need to get across the river your only option isn't it is to go via the roundabout in Annabella uh, delay your journey I think is probably the best bet 1850 we were talking about Clonakilty Community Hospital and how wonderful the hospital is and how it's how the people in the area have this sort of great love of Clonakilty Community Hospital and I think that's reflected in a lot of other towns and villages that have a community hospital. People just hold the community hospitals in such high esteem and seeing as we were talking about community hospitals somebody said Patricia did you know and would you please let people know that the Canturk Grow Group actually hold their meetings in the Canturk Community Hospital. So community hospitals are used for a lot more than just to house elderly patients there there as meeting rooms as well. Um, and we were talking about Grow and talking about Aware with Joe Heflin on the programme on only on Tuesday. So it's good to give that a mention if you would like to go along to a Grow meeting in Canturk. They meet in the local community hospital. Now we welcome Garda Martin Hegarty from Castle Town Bear for our Garda file uh, today. Uh, good morning to you Martin. Good morning Patricia. Uh, and you are welcome to the programme. Now later on we are going to be talking about counterfeit uh, notes that are in uh, circulation but let's start with some crimes and incidents that have happened in West Cork that you're looking for assistance with uh, starting with a series of serious incidents including uh, assaults. Yes, we had a series of incidents in the Ballyday Hobby area over the weekend of Saturday the 3rd of August uh, and Sunday the 4th of August um, and it, it occurred on Main Street, uh, Ballyday Hobby. Um, these incidents resulted in, in, in individuals receiving serious injuries so um, we're very anxious to hear from anybody that may have been in the Main Street area of Ballyday Hobby on Saturday night, the 3rd of the 8th or Sunday morning, um, the, the fourth of the eight. No, it happened sometime around the midnight before midnight, going going through from Saturday night into Sunday morning. There was a lot of people in the vicinity, so we've no doubt that you know there was a lot of people may have witnessed what 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 occurred there. We're we're also appealing for anybody that may have been in the area that would have been driving through the village and may have witnessed it with, uh, and would have had a dash cam on board their vehicle. We'd also be looking maybe if they would be in a position, pr- uh, position to provide us with uh, the dash cam footage that is available to them. Okay. And uh, my colleagues in Bantry uh, Garda Station at 027-20860 are investigating that and would appreciate any help from, from the public because it was a very nasty incident from by all accounts. And then there was two incidents in the Skibbereen area. There was. Um, no, the first one goes back a little bit to June, Patricia. Um, it occurred on the 27th, uh, between the 27th of uh, June and the 29th of June. That was Thursday night to Saturday morning. It, ha- it occurred at Skibbereen uh, AFC grounds where there was a, a, a lock-up container entered there and there was <coughs> um, items taken from, from the, the property. Now, again, I know it's, it's uh, going back to the end of June but at the same time there may have been somebody in the Baltimore Road area of Skibbereen that may have um, 
seen, you know, a vehicle or an individual hanging around that premises on between 9 p.m. on the 27th of the 6th. Uh, on that was a Thursday night and Saturday morning, 9:45 a.m. And again, the, my colleagues in Skibbereen are looking for assistance with that. They can be contacted at 0282308. Now, the second incident that we have from over around there is that there was some criminal damage done um, on Tuesday the 30th of the 7th, which is uh, a little bit closer, uh, and Wednesday the 31st of the 7th which was just over two weeks ago. Now, the townland there was in Chagoig, Skibbereen, and uh, we had a number of containers that were damaged and also a number of vehicles that were damaged, or a, sorry, a vehicle that was damaged in this particular incident. My colleagues, as I say, in Skibbereen are investigating that one. It occurred at Inchigoig, Skibbereen, um, on Tuesday the 30th of the 7th and going into Wednesday the 31st of the 7th. And my colleagues in Skibbereen can be contacted at 027-23088. And what we're looking for there is anybody that may have seen a vehicle or individuals, um, you know, just looking loitering around the premises there uh, and that may be in a position to assist us with that. And a serious assault in McCroom? Yes. Now, this is one which we have maybe spoken about, not this particular incident, but a similar similar type incident, whereas an an individual received one punch Ah. and was knocked unconscious. We have been, we have mentioned this in the past uh, in relation to, you know... It's happening all over the country, unfortunately, or has happened all over the country. It it is. And it's something that we continue to highlight. um, And not necessarily, you know, the, the consequences for the the injured party, which are the injuries that they receive and, you know, the ongoing health problems that it may cause. But also for the perpetrators of something like this, on, on, on occasions, Patricia, you may have fellows that are messing and pushing and shoving each other and whatever, and some guy gets pushed, he's knocked to the ground, gets a head injury, uh, and you have, you know, someone that could be facing an assault causing harm, an assault causing serious harm charge or indeed if it's, if it's more serious than that you could be looking at maybe a manslaughter charge down the road Yeah, two, two lives absolutely destroyed Exactly and what, what we try to do is maybe just make people aware that no, there are very serious consequences for the person that's injured but there's also huge consequences for the perpetrators of this and we try to highlight that um, because it is, it, you know, I think, you know, lads out missing on a Saturday night or a whatever night of the week that they're out, they don't realise the, 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 the consequences for them and it's just to highlight that now this particular incident um, Patricia occurred at Castle Street McCroom and it occurred on uh, Sunday night last, which at around 10.40 p.m. Now, again, my colleagues in McCroom are looking for assistance with that. They're looking for anybody that would have been in the Castle uh, Street area of McCroom in and around that, that time. And they're, they're also, you know, looking for anybody that may have dash cams on their cars if they were passing the area at that time and picked up footage that may be of benefit to us. Now, as I say, my colleagues over McCroom are dealing with that at 0262590 and they would uh, appreciate any assistance from the public in relation to this because the, the, the injured party in this was knocked unconscious um, no, I haven't an update in relation to his his uh, condition uh, as I speak to you. But the fact that he was knocked unconscious and by, by so the time serious. the, the um, emergency services arrived, both ourselves and the ambulance, he was conveyed to CUH and is undergoing treatment there at the moment. OK, well, we wish, we wish him uh, well. There was a burglary last Saturday. 
That's correct. In uh, Cleandra, in our groom, my own neck of the woods down here. Um, um, no, this was a very uh, unusual one insofar as that the house concerned Cleandra is a very isolated area. The, the house and gar- um, premises that was entered um, it, it would would not how would you say, be at the side of a main road or anything like that, which which would lend itself to maybe someone passing. So this would suggest that somebody had had identified this premises. There was um, a number of items taken from from the property, uh, particularly you know the likes of um, garden um, garden machinery and stuff like that that were removed from the property and. Um, Again, as I say, it's a very isolated area. It's not somewhere where an opportunist would would be passing and see. Oh, there's a shed there, and it, you know we'll have a look and see what's what's there. This is per- the perpetrator here had their homework done and knew that possibly the the, the shed would be vacant and and knew that there was items in the shed that would be of spe- specific value and went in there. Um, and as I say, it occurred um, Saturday between six p.m. and Sunday. Sunday morning when the the, the incident was uh, discovered by the owner of the property. Now we're investigating that matter here at Castledon Bear Garda Station ourselves. Anyone that may be in a position to help us, our phone number here is 027-70002 and we would be uh, delighted to hear from anyone that may be in a position to give us um, some information concerning that. Okay, and let's uh, move on. Time is against us, but there was a theft from vehicles. That's right. Still this. Just looking at the statistics so far this month, from the first of um, from the first of August to to the fifteenth of August, just notice with the number of tests, there was eight tests in, to- in total reported to the Gardaí, and of that eight tests reported, five of them were tests from vehicles. Now they happened right across the division from McCroom, Skibreen, Glengariff, Kinsale, and Stewie. And we've mentioned this in the past again, general comments, these are opportunist crimes. We'd ask people again just to secure their vehicles, not to let property in the vehicles and not to let valuables on view in the vehicles and just make it difficult for the perpetrators of these crimes. Because most of them are opportunistic. They're just walking by, see the handbag, see the wallet, window smashed and they're gone. That's it. That's it, exactly. It's as quick as that. make it difficult for for the perpetrators. Make it as hard as possible. All right, and there's counterfeit notes, you believe, circulating in Bantry? That's correct, Patricia. There was, um, over the last few days, we've had uh, a few reports of counterfeit notes circulating. Now, what we're asking here again is that the businesses be extra vigilant in relation to the the notes. The notes concerned are 50 euro notes. We'd ask the owners of businesses to educate their staff to, to identify... Uh, counterfeit notes. T- we'd ask people just to take a second uh, look at a 50 euro note if it's, pre- if it's presented for payment. Um, the quality of the notes isn't exceptionally brilliant or, or good, but at the same time, you know, if a, a premises is busy or otherwise, they will be passed on. And that's what they'll try and do. That's exactly. what they'll try and do. Okay. And just very finally, there's a lot of festivals going on uh, in the area, especially in West Cork. Extra traffic, extra visitors. Be careful out on the roads. That's, that's it. And like, as I say, even in our own area we have a festival starting in Alihis this evening what we'd ask people is just to be extra vigilant again as I said there will be extra vehicles there'll be extra traffic extra people around the villages and towns all over West Cork and again we'd ask people just to be conscious of that if they're making a journey anywhere you know just to give themselves extra time to, to get through the locations concerned and, okay. and that's what we'd be looking for there Alright pleasure as always Martin thank you for that and thanks for joining us uh, good morning to you 
Take care, Patricia. Bye-bye. That is uh, Gartha Martin Hegarty joining us from Castletown Bear, Gartha Station. We're going to take a break. We have news at 12 midday on the way. Get your pet questions in, please. 1850-333-103. Text WhatsApp 0862-103-103. Simon's Celebrity Sees. Guess the celebs to grab the cash. On C103. €2,600 here. Be lovely, wouldn't it? Wouldn't you love to have that now? Yes. Straight up to the airport. Jetting off somewhere hot. Yeah, maybe. Right, come on, who are they? Um, I'd say um, Sandra Bullock, Gabriel Byrne and Killian Murphy. Margaret Curran, you want that holiday? You'll have to go and fuck me one celebrity scene! €2,600. Thank you very much. Simon's Celebrity Seas on C103. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Let me bring you a little bit of good news and a good news story on this Thursday. Remember little Anna Brown, the little girl from Mallow who needed to have spinal surgery and she needed to go to Missouri, wasn't it, in America to have this special procedure done. Um, It was to do with curvature of her spine and various other problems that little Anna was born with and a fundraiser was set up and it was called Anna's Dream to Dance because that was always this little girl's dream that one day she would be able to uh, dance. But because of the spasticity in her body and her mobility, she's, you kind of look to this little girl and you think, oh my God, will you ever be able to dance? And I remember the day, um, well over a year ago now, when she, the first day she hobbled, and she literally did hobble into the studio with her mother. The very first interview we did when the Anna's Dream to Dance GoFundMe page and fundraisers were set up and you just looked at this little girl and you thought bless her heart and she was just such a sweet sweet little child and all she wanted was you know one day to be able to walk properly and to be and to be able to dance well it was this time last year that she was actually in America having that life saving life well not life saving but certainly life altering uh, procedure and I'm thrilled to say that her mammy the wonderful Evelyn who's just a fantastic woman has sent us on a video where you can see how well little Anna Brown is doing when it comes to her physio and how she is getting stronger and taller. You can really see a difference in her height and her walking technique is so much better and it's just the most incredible little video clip and she sent it on to us yesterday just so that we could have a look at, look at it so we got back onto her and said can we put that up on our Facebook page and she said of course you can so it's gone up on the C103 uh, Cork uh, Facebook page if you get a chance to look at it today please do because it's just one of those things it'll bring joy to your heart and it'll put a smile on your face and I think it's really important for the so so many of our listeners here to the programme who supported that campaign for Anna's Dream to Dance people who went to various fundraisers uh, Mike Fitzgerald and the gang in Star Trek they did a huge big fundraiser for Little Anna and that was well supported people supported various fundraisers that were going on and obviously people donated to the GoFundMe page so it's nice for people when they've given something for them to see well that's where your money went that's that's what it's done that's the difference it's made to this little girl's uh, life and it's, it's lovely so go to our Facebook page please for that if you want to take a look at that now let me just take a quick look down there's a lot of calls in and my apologies if we haven't been getting to all of them we've been having a kind of a busy programme we are taking calls and well questions and for our pet corner please for Jane she'll join us 1850 John Paul is taking pet questions or you can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103 
Bantry. Mary in Bantry was on to us earlier to say the council's road maintenance crew were out and they were cutting back hedges and cleaning the signposts on the Ballylicky to Bantry Road. She said this work got underway yesterday. She said it was very badly needed. So it was welcomed and well done to the crew who were out doing that work. But you can sense the butt. There's a butt coming. But they left behind the briars and the bits of the hedging that they cut on the side of the road. Now Mary said she drove past the morning. She's assuming somebody's going to come back to clean it up. So can we mention it? And just put a sort of a little gentle nudge in the direction of Cork County Council's road maintenance crew in the Bantry area on the Ballylicky to Bantry Road. You did a fine job, lads, but can you get back out there now and clean up the briars and the hedging that was cut back? And I'm sure they will. I'm sure it was just left there. Maybe they didn't have the staff to do it yesterday. But uh, thank you for drawing our attention to it. That's Mary in a Bantry. 1850-333-103 and roads oh and this is when we were talking with Fiona Corcoran who was talking about that the Gardaí and they were at New Tupot House today just trying to raise awareness of road safety with you know the shocking and the, the reason that they picked the North Cork area was that shocking statistic that last Monday when that man lost his life in the road traffic accident at New Tupot House, he became the sixth person to die on our roads in the North Cork area. And this 10 has died in on Cork roads uh, this year. And then we were looking at the overall figures of the number of people who have died. It's just shocking. And trying to get that message through to people to please slow it down, get off your mobile phones. And, you know, we spoke about motorbikes and Fiona spoke to a motorbiker himself who spoke about how dangerous it can be on the roads out there. Well, James in Bury says the, the two-in-one, is now what they call it, the wire system on the Cork to Mallow Road, he feels, is a death trap for motorcyclists. Why do engineers make these decisions? As there's tarmac on either side of that wire. Other roads that have that two-in-one system have grass on either sides, but no, not here on the Cork Tamala Road. It's a tarmac. He also questions the roundabout at Annabella. Questions need to be asked there. There's been, yeah, there's been a number of accidents since they introduced the new extra lanes and you know people can use different lanes I, I don't know if that's just people getting used to it is, is the problem because as we know there's an accident there this morning that's still causing an amount of gridlock in traffic particularly from the Killarney side it's cleared just checked it there online on the Google Maps it's cleared coming from Cork but it's still quite backed up coming from the Killarney side and that's on that side of the roundabout where the accident ha- has occurred. Anyway on the two and one the wire I remember looking into this before James and when that wire was first put down everyone was saying oh if a motorcyclist hits that they're going to get sliced in, in two. Now I'm open to correction and I'll do some research this afternoon but as far as I know no, my, no motorcyclist has ever been killed. Am I right in that? There's been no fatal road accidents involving a motorbike and the wire on the Cork to Mallow Road. And I know because it initially went in as a pilot and they wanted to see and it was put in for safety reason, and it was really successful. They, there was a huge reduction in the number of accidents on that road since that wire went in. And I know it divides people and some people are completely against it but it was put in for a road safety measure and it's a road safety measure that has actually worked. But leave it with me and I'll see if I can find some stats uh, for you for tomorrow. 
Tony in Middleton. Uh, I was driving on the N25. This was in the last hour. He says, there was a guy on a bicycle in front of me. And, wait for this, says Tony, he was on his mobile phone. It was near the two mile in. He, it was very dangerous because he was actually wobbling on the road. So Tony said, you know, you're talking about road safety. You were talking about motorists on their mobile phones. You're talking about people being on motorbikes. But what about cyclists? Why aren't we focusing on cyclists? They can be as dangerous as the motorist when it comes to somebody being on a phone. It is a disgrace. Motorists are always the ones that are blamed if there is an accident. But cyclists should be questioned as well. And I take it if you were stopped by a member of Angarda Siakana and you were on your pedal cycle and you were on your mobile phone, I'm assuming that that's deemed irresponsible and dangerous and that you could be charged uh, for that. I don't know if it's ever happened, if anyone's ever been charged, but I'm, I'm sure it's not something that they advocate that you do. And you describe it well, Tony, if you're wobbling all over the road, because obviously you're trying to concentrate on the phone call and concentrate on the road and you could only have one hand on the handlebars. So a pretty, pretty stupid thing to be doing. Thank you for your call, Tony, to 1850 333103. Now, Heidi uh, by WhatsApp is reacting to Mary who joined us earlier. Mary was talking about her husband. She's married to a man from Ghana. She met him online. Lots of people form relationships online. They initially developed a relationship online. Then they got to meet each other and they fell in love. And about three years ago, she went to Germany where Eric was living at the time and they got married. He subsequently moved to Italy where he's been working I think now for the last three months. But Mary's problem and Eric's problem is she can't get a visa for him to come to live and work in Ireland. And the main reason for it is he she's on a disability allowance, even though, you know, if he comes and gets work, I was making the point, will it not save the ultimately save the exchequer money because if he started working and earned enough money then Mary could come off her disability allowance because disability allowance is means tested but obviously if he's living and working in Italy not in a well paid job at the moment he can't support her because he's trying to support himself in Italy and then she's living on the disability allowance and she's trying to save up for flights to get her over and back to see him initially. But she just wants her husband to be living here in this country. But she's having problems because Ghana is one of the African countries where you require a visa if you want to live in this country. Anyway, Heidi listened with interest to Mary's story and Mary trying to get her husband a visa. And she said it brought to mind Italy when Mary mentions that Eric is currently living and working in Italy. So Italy is a beautiful country. So I'm not sure if you of your listeners have been in Italy recently. I have many friends that live in Italy. Milan is a wonderful place, or it was, says Heidi. Italy is now destroyed by all of the immigrants arriving in boats. As they drive, as you drive along the roads, you'll see them sitting under trees. The whole area has been littered then more littered there than ever before. The country needs help to cope with the issue of the migrants who are heading to Italy. Uh, they, the EU leaders need to sort this out for the Italian people, for Italy, because the Italian people are simply fed up of it. All, the majority of them are young men with no jobs and no chance of getting one. I know all they are I know everyone is entitled to a better life, but to see this happening to a country 
like Italy, a country I care for. It's just so bad, says um, Heidi. 1850-333-103. Thank you for that. I can see pet questions coming in. Uh, Keep those coming for Jane. There were some other people sent in text just wanting me to give a shout out to some things. Where are they gone? Valerie says, Hi Patricia, would you let your listeners know please that the NCBI shop in Bandham, they're having a half price sale on all stock today and tomorrow. Uh, if you want to pop in and bag yourself a bargain and the proceeds go into the National Council for the Blind. And hi Patricia, would you please announce the bingo at Theo Park in Theo Park is cancelled tonight and that is due to a local bereavement. And Barry O'Hanlon of the Ballonhassa Community Development Association emailed Patricia at c103.ie to say, would you please mind announcing that for this coming Friday, tomorrow, 16th, the Cayley with Jerry McCarthy in the Marion Hall in Ballonhassock were asking our patrons, please, for this event only, to use the GAA car park next to the hall. And that's due to maintenance work taking place at the BCDA entrance. OK, do you understand that? So the the community development are having work done. So if you go into the Cayley, then would you please, just for tomorrow night only, park in the GAA car park. That's coming in from Ballinhastic. 1850-333-103. Lines open. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council. Supporting businesses. Supporting communities. Serving Cork. Visit corkcoco.ie. Kildallery Community Development, they've got their weekly lotto draw in Ollie's Bar. That's tonight. And this week's jackpot is €2,400. The Cork Yarn Spinners, they gather every third Thursday at Crawford and Company on Anglesey Street for a fun evening of stories, poems and uh, songs. And you can check out more on their Facebook page, Cork Yarn Spinners. Bingo is on tomorrow night in Kildallery. It's got a half past eight start. While a coffee morning in aid of the Mercy Mission Sisters Mission in Peru will be held in the social services in Moscarby this Saturday. It's at 10am to 2pm and the proceeds go to fund third level education for students in uh, Peru. And Cork Nature Network are holding their annual picnic at Beaumont Quarry next Sunday from 12 noon to half past three. Fun, lots of fun with face painting, music talk and walks around the site. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. Spotted a text from Simon and Charlie Madden's bar in Timaleague. The Timaleague Festival, of course, continuing across this week, wraps up at the weekend. Just to mention that there are tickets available on the door tonight for the brilliant Cleana Hagen. It's uh, supported by Karen and the Dolans. It's an eight o'clock start. Tickets are 20 euro if you wanted to go along to Timaleague Festival tonight for Cleana uh, Hagen. Some are your calls coming in. Mary says, this is on when we were talking about hedging and the cutting of hedges and somebody's wondering are the council going to come back and clean up. Mary says, what about the ordinary members of the public when they cut their lawns or cut their hedges or do other work around their garden and then they bring out the remains of the glass, grass and the hedging. This is obviously if you're in a rural area and they put them out in the ditch. 
should that not be made illegal? Is it wrong that people do that? Ponders uh, Mary. And Michael in the city is picking up on Heidi, who is worried about what's happening in Italy with the amount of immigrants arriving there. Michael in the city says, you don't need to look at Italy. I'll be worried about Italy regarding people coming into the country. Just look at our own country. We're in the same position. Well, we're not really. We're not, Michael. What Heidi's talking about is boatloads of people arriving into Italy. It's a a very, very different situation. But yes, we are accepting migrants into this country, but certainly not on the numbers that are heading into uh, Italy, for sure. Thank you for your call to 1850-333-103. Pat is picking up on the piece about the roundabout, Annabella roundabout in Mallow, where there's been another accident this morning that they're still trying to clear and somebody's critical of the actual roundabout and questioning the engineers and I was saying is it just people getting used to the roundabout more than anything than the actual layout of the roundabout Pat reckons hang on now I can tell you what's wrong with the roundabout people are simply driving too fast into the roundabout particularly people coming from Cork and Limerick it has become very dangerous now and I think there could be something in that Pat because there's now two lanes from both Cork and Limerick where you can go straight through the roundabout. And yeah, and I have to say, I have noticed people do seem to be speeding a lot more than when there was only one lane and you had to wait and get into your lane and I, I think maybe it was forcing people to slow down, I don't know. But I think I think Pat could be right with that, that people certainly are speeding a lot more. 1850-333-103 on a completely, completely different topic now. Brown Thomas is officially opening its Christmas store today. What are we at today? Uh, the 15th of uh, August. There is 132 days to go until Christmas in case you're just getting a bit panicky that you've nothing bought yet and you're starting to worry about who you're going to have for Christmas dinner and what size turkey do you need to have. I'm, I'm sure people are discussing this at, in, in some homes uh, somewhere. So with 132 days to go, festive gifts and decorations are now available at the Brown Thomas store in uh, Cork. We went down and did a very quick vox pop to ask people did they think it was a bit too early 15th of August to be thinking about Christmas that's shocking it's still summer sure it's August <laughs> uh, we haven't even had Halloween yet it's warm and lovely we, we don't need snow and I think it's quite ridiculous to be talking about Christmas in August I, I wouldn't shop in a shop that has Christmas fair in August I think it's psychologically damaging actually because we are not enjoying the moment which we should be doing there you go. Every single person on that Vox Pop is against the Christmas store opening in Brown Thomas uh, today. But the very fact it's opened, I guarantee you there will be people in there buying baubles and buying uh, tinsel. Some people like to shop early. Some people like to spread the cost of Christmas over as many months as possible. And then you've just got people who are addicted uh, to Christmas and who can't get enough of it and will be shopping for Christmas items all year round if there were stores available to them. These, you know, the powers that be at Brown Thomas and the When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN.
or the stores that will open up Christmas Christmas stock in early they don't do it for the good of their own health they're doing it because they know there's a market there if there wasn't a market there we wouldn't have these shops opening up that is for sure now we've already been talking this morning about what's been going on at uh, Shannon uh, Airport and uh, you've, you would, you couldn't help but have sympathy for families that are heading away on holidays and you get stuck in Shannon Airport and there was no flights uh, going if you are going away on holidays next year and you have booked with Ryanair then you are facing delays and possible cancellations because there is a 48 hour strike threat for next week and of course there was talks going on yesterday uh, but they unfortunately broke down with the pilots sources say discussions to avert industrial action by the Irish based pilots ended yesterday and the worrying side of this is there's no further negotiations planned. Now it's understood that demands for wage hikes of more than 50% is what the Irish pilots are looking for and they want it backdated to February of last year. The airline already faces turbulence, pardon the pun, because of course the Spanish pilots and crew, I think it's the, the all the crew in Spain with Ryanair are threatening uh, 10 days of industrial uh, action. Now the directly employed pilots will strike, these are the Irish ones, for 48 hours August 23rd, 22nd and 23rd and that by the way coincides with stoppages by UK based pilots uh, as well. Forza they served strike notice on Ryanair yesterday evening and said it will notify the company of further strike action in due course. At the moment, they're just saying these two days, but there will be more. The, it said the airline negotiators failed to put forward a counter-proposal on a range of terms and conditions that would have adverted next week's strike. The move comes after 94% of the members of the Irish Airline Pilots Association, that's IALPA, voted to back industrial action in the long-running dispute over pay and working conditions. Now, of course, needless to say, Ryanair are saying something completely different. They say that the they said the pilots withdrew from mediation after no progress was made. They say what the pilots came to the table with was unrealistic demands. Now, they're quoting more than 50%. They're saying that the pilots are looking for a 101% pay increase on top of an annual pay. This is a pilot. They say the current annual pay, the top annual pay, is 172,000. But they don't say how many are getting 172,000. But anyway, they say that's the top pay. They their their top pilot is getting that amount of money. And is that person looking for 101 percent? Ryanair pilots. This is from Ryanair. Are insisting on these pay demands being met. Just one day after Norwegian announced the closure of its Dublin and Cork operations and Shannon with the loss of over 120 crew jobs, despite the fact that Ryanair has a surplus. We heard this only last week, didn't we, from um, that they have um, 500 pilots over what they need. And that's, of course, due to the delayed delivery of the 30 Manx uh, aircraft this winter and just 10 weeks before no deal Brexit Ryanair point out it could cause further disruption to airline travel and airline jobs in Ireland and the UK so so the standoff between both sides continues and as of now the pilots are saying they will go on strike for 48 hours August 22nd and 23rd and that is not the kind of news 
you want to hear if you're booked to fly with Ryanair on either of those two days. 1850 John Paul taking your calls. We're looking, please, for your pet questions in particular uh, because Jane Pickett, our resident vet, will be joining us in studio. So if you have a pet question, get it in. You can text or WhatsApp your pet questions to 0862 103 103. Laura Gaelga, RC 103. Jacob Stockdale, Erin Shrew, Nadig Nokashe in Ardvaka. Hussig Sheik Imert Rugger, Agase Anna O. Drastel Shay Er Ardskull de Valish, Agas Burnock Gradam Imrhornablina Er, Nina Guna. Dimashi Mark Klehani Er Ern Nahir in Fuifeha, Agas Hussig Sheik Imert Lakuga Ulla, Agas A Fos Navelina Degvish. Tuguk on Lassanum Stocky Jockey Er, Tisk A Vekohard Agas Kolordershin. Ranik A. Er Fanil Naharan, De Hrossar Govil Sashakti, August Anam Nik A. Marlake Nahimraha in Aigon, Argentine. Toshakt Ud Aimshaha e Jacob Stockdale, E Gravena She Nashun Govilas Octig, Gashka Nakvil Dainteg, Ain Imr or Ella, Isterna Grava. Is Imhor Untuk A. August Inspira de Guina Oga A. Le Blur Guelga is Mission Malinigul or Guelskol Hamasta Vishmala. CK'd as a three Kirkig. And Jane Pickett of the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket, part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group, joins me in the studio. Good afternoon to you. Hi there. Jane, you are very welcome. Now, before we get into questions, I want to give a mention to this, and we are going to do a follow up on this tomorrow, but I promised we got asked if we'd do it around the vet slot, and it is from the West Cork Animal Welfare Group. They are having their annual walk next Sunday at half past two, meeting at the Long Strand in Castle Freak. And they've got a wonderful afternoon planned and there'll be teas and coffees and cakes and a craft stall and a raffle and lots and lots of nice things going on. And Rebel, the dog that they took in that they found very badly injured, the kid a neck injury, uh, he's going to lead off the walk. And we featured Rebel on the show earlier this year with the injuries that he had sustained. And we're going to do a follow up on Rebel tomorrow on the programme as well but just to let people know that that is happening next Sunday and those animal welfare groups uh, Jane they do incredible work don't they? Absolutely incredible work and so so dedicated I know there's a a lot of animal welfare groups around but also the ISPCA they do incredible work and my heart goes out to them they do the toughest job I think they see the toughest situations with the animals in, in really sometimes terrifyingly appalling conditions and I think it's credit you both to the people involved in caring for those and rehabilitating those patients but also the dogs themselves their ability to regain trust and kind of have a lust for life after being through kind of unspeakable things um, is incredible mm. I really just find they're so resilient It's great they're, they're, they're terrific actually when yeah. you talk about the ISPCA I couldn't even read that story about that little pony that was found I, in the, in the, I just couldn't even read it and, and I just I heard one of the inspectors say you know the, it's on the road to recovery but the minute you'd walk in it would face the wall hoping that nobody would eyeball him God help just dreadful Okay, let's get straight into questions first thing a very open question from Michael is a dog or a cat better for a single person? Oh well I think it really depends on your home life situation so if let's say you are somebody who's out working nine to five every day and have maybe lots of evening commitments I would suggest perhaps our 
cat would be better. And I think also if, let's say, you live in, uh, live in quite an urban environment, I wouldn't have time to, let's say, take your pet out walking and have lots of free space and out and lots of fresh air. Possibly a cat is better. They're very independent creatures. They sometimes deal quite well if you do need to have, let's say, a fully indoor situation. A lot of them can adapt quite well to that. Um, but they're also very independent creatures. They'll just kind of go off and do their own thing. They really enjoy human company and certainly need a lot of care and attention. Um, but certainly And they will bond. Oh, uh, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. They, a lot of them become like little cuddle monsters, to be totally yeah. honest. Um, but they are a little bit more resilient to being left alone for short periods of time. Um, obviously, they need lots of care and attention. Same kind of provisions, food, water, lots of TLC, veterinary attention, um, whether it's a dog or a cat. But if you're going to be out all day, maybe a cat is better. Um, in the case of a single person, however, I suppose if you have time on your hands or if you have, let's say, uh, a house with a garden, maybe you have the opportunity to pop home during the day and you would have the time to devote to a dog, then I think a dog is a lovely thing. I like Great companion. Great companion, but also they'll get you out and about. Yeah. And I think that's really, really important. I, I know perhaps when I was younger in my single days, um, my dog was my best friend. You know, it would get me out. It would be my excuse to go for a walk in the evening. And I think certainly from a mental health point of view, it's great to get you out and you have company and you have somebody driving you to not just sit on the sofa and slob about all evening. Saying that, they can be quite high maintenance. Um, you do need to make sure you have enough time and I suppose attention it's not something that's going to you know uh, be a one hit wonder as where you're buying you're buying a dog or a cat for life so you need to make sure that you're prepared for the commitment and if your circumstances change that you'll be able to adapt that around the lifestyle of your pet um, and consider rescue consider rescuing but also consider the breed you're going to get I think this is probably more important on the dog side of things behaviourally but certainly size plays a big role but also temperament I would say personally, if you want the best of both worlds and let's say you're a single person, you might have time to take them for a hundred walks in the day, but let's say you have a a good amount of garden space for them. Think about maybe some of the breeds that wouldn't pop to mind immediately. Maybe think about a greyhound or something like that. They'll slob on the sofa with you, have a grand old time, but then they'll go for a big run with you. Yeah. You know, think of the breeds that are less often let's say considered um, and keep keep an open mind I think speak to your vet as well yeah We're and really I also will direct advice. you to a website and we did an interview with them last week called Pet Bond and I don't know if yeah. you have you seen them mm-hmm. these are wonderful and the, it's a safe and trusted online platform where they'll help you find a happy and a healthy pet but they help to match you up as well they'll go mm-hmm. through they'll ask you loads of different questions and, and whatever and they're linked into various rescue centres from around the country That's as well really it's, it's, it's yeah. really good so I will direct you towards there yeah. and, and it's not just cats and dogs they do they, they do office. actually stay on the lurchers because mm-hmm. D in Middleton says I've just rescued a lurcher greyhound cross lovely uh, very poor condition but any any tips on what to do on the sort of the bonding side I'm assuming we've, we've got the vet and all of that but the bonding side uh, of it I think time yeah I really think particularly when you've rehomed a pet you don't know particularly what their previous situation would have been a lot of the time. And I think we need to make a good deal of allowances for them just to have a lot of settling in time. And that includes alone time. So with you around the house, but them having their own space to go and find their comfy spot, to spend some time alone, kind of assimilating their environment, getting used to things, watching, listening, learning the normal sounds of the house, learning what you sound like. Um, Essentially, most dogs and cats are creatures of habit. The more routine you can give them, particularly if it's a rehomed pet where their previous life may have been a little bit uncertain, routine is the best thing. I know my own 
let's say dog she's fierce nervous um her name is margot and she works like clockwork it's five past eight she wakes up she decides it's time to go out and pee and poo she comes back in it's her breakfast and then it's time to go to work and in the evening everything works in reverse she'll tell me at half past five right it's time to go home and then she'll hop into the car so she is works like clockwork and routine is is you know how long is she with priority. you she's with us now about two years and she's still yeah. nervous she's less nervous if her routine is kept very steady okay and i think that goes do all for, dog, is that is that common with all dogs i think most yeah but I, especially I rescued ones particularly rescue ones yeah. we have two we have two rescue dogs and they really they have different personalities but routine really rules for them it gives them a structured environment they know what time things are going to happen they know it's predictable they know nothing scary is going to happen ah, bless it just so keeps them safe keeps them safe so i would yeah. say to this listener give it time give them space keep everything very routine um, okay. and I'm sure that bond will get there eventually okay, a lot good, of the time once they settle with they good become really with great uh, Joan has a four month old golden retriever puppy biting a lot ah. we've tried ignoring him um, but he's it's just, just it's not working still going yeah this is really really common um, at this point in time at four months of age they're kind of like a toddler yeah. they're testing out their environment terrible twos kind terrible of terrible twos yeah so they're testing out their environment and they're also teething at this point a little bit so it's very much like a, a baby or a toddler teething they kind of want to bite down on things they have this funny feeling in their mouth and they don't quite know what to do with it so part of it can be that but a lot of the time let's say behavioural nipping is testing the boundaries okay. they're trying to see what they can kind of get away with um, and they're treating you almost like another member of their pack. And a lot of that involves, let's say, a little bit of play fighting sometimes, okay. traditionally. This is not appropriate behaviour. <laughs> and I think I would stress that it's not something that they'll grow out of. It's something that you need to manage. I would say the easiest thing to do is to not allow it for any period of time just nip it in the bud and the best way of doing that is ignoring it okay. so all they want you to do is engage in play and if you do that by squealing or shouting or going you know doing they let's say that, shouting yeah, at them they it, see that as worked. you engaging yeah the best thing you can do if puppy is up in your arms and starts nibbling and having a chew or a bite the best thing you can do is quietly put the puppy down on the floor walk away ignore it um, okay. end the play time It'll take a little while. It'll Don't take eyeball, a bit of, no. No, no, yeah. nothing like okay. that. I would, you know, not engage, put them down or even pop them into their crate um, or into a calm room. Give them some time to chill out. It's very much like a toddler throwing a tantrum. Um, just give them time to wind that back down a little bit. There is no place for aggression in this. Um, there's no place for shouting or anything like that. It's really just about disengaging from the playtime, letting them know that if they nip, playtime's ends. So it's okay. they associate and, with that. And because thing. it's going to be a mm. big dog. It is. And I think, you know, we find as vets, the, the nippiest dogs tend to be the smallest ones. Is it? Yeah. That's mainly because they're seen as, let's say, not, not they don't have a potential to cause too much damage in the eyes of the owner. So a lot of the time they're left away with this kind of nipping behaviour. And, and you have to stop it, whether it's a big or a small dog. Whether and it's actually, a big jo- or a small dog. Jo- yeah. Joan also wants advice on puppy training. They are using a crate at night and that's working, but having mm. no luck during the day. Ah. The puppy is alone for about four hours during the day. Okay. So I think you're doing a great job using the crate at night. I think a lot of the time they just need a safe place and the crate kind of becomes their den. So if you make it really nice and cosy and comfortable, they won't want to mess up their den. 
so they'll try and hold it as long as they're physically able to and a lot of the time until puppies are about six months of age they physically can't really hold their bladder um so we need to make allowances for the fact that sometimes they however much they might want to hold it they can't so i suppose my main bit of advice would be give them as many opportunities as possible to get it right now during the day if you're having no luck I know you have a let's say a four hour period where they have to be left alone and and that's okay I suppose we all have to live in the real world um and if that's what's manageable for you then that's fine but I think all of the time that you are there take them out to the garden really regularly give them as many opportunities to do their peas and poos outside in the right spot if they do go ahead and toilet properly outside make them feel like the best dog ever lots of praise lots of praise lots of positive reinforcement maybe even a treat here or there Um, I think that works really really well a lot of the time and also final word would be once they've done their peas and their poos don't take them straight back inside let them sniff around the garden for another two or three minutes because it's very much like ending the playtime with the biting if they think the playtime ends when they pee and poo they're slow to do it. They're slow good to point. do it. That's a good point. So yeah. stay on a little bit uh, exactly. longer. Hi, I've got a four-year-old Cavachon refusing to eat. I've tried changing his nuts. I've tried lots of different types of food. Chicken, fillets, slices of ham, etc. Any tips on how to get him to eat? He's a fussy eater. Mm. All of these warming flea doses, everything like that is up to date. Just a fussy eater. Just a fussy fella. Okay. Well, it sounds like you've done a really good job trying out a few different things. And it, it sounds like this little dog is actually having a... a a great old time trying out all the the lovely snacks the ham and the chicken etc um it can be a little bit difficult i would just as long as everything is okay otherwise let's say we're bright bouncy acting normally um we're not let's say struggling to eat hard food over soft food then i would say maybe we just have a picky eater on our hands i wouldn't be in favor of changing the diet every day okay I would try and pick a good quality diet. Speak to your vet about what would be a good quality, complete diet that they have experience with dogs finding quite tasty. Okay. Okay. And stick with it. I think sometimes dogs, if they've had a treat or two when they've refused to eat their dinner, they'll sometimes hold out until they can get the good stuff. They'll fool us all. They'll pretend I'm not eating my dinner until I get the really good snacks. So they'll be waiting for the sausages and the black pudding and all the exciting stuff that they might get when we're desperate to get them to eat something and we'll kind of cave and give them the junk food. Um, they're very clever, very wily also. So he, like, he knows what he's doing. Uh, sometimes they do. Now, that would be the really fussy picky eater. So I would say try and pick a stable diet and stick with it for at least a week. And see because how you if, go. He, if yeah. he gets hungry enough, he will eat. He should eat. And I think yeah. a lot of the time, if it is truly a picky eater, it's just finding the right fit. But I wouldn't try and change the diet every day. I would try and give everything a week at a time. Okay. Now, the one thing I would say is just make sure that if, if there is maybe some problem with eating... I wouldn't want to do a picky eater the disservice of ignoring the fact it might have dental disease. Okay. So it's like ourselves with a toothache. We might feel less inclined to Four eat. year old. Yeah, he could have. Yeah, quite, yeah. It's possible. Anything's yeah. possible. Yeah. I would probably pop to your vet. It'll give you a good opportunity to have a discussion, a discussion about nutrition and different diet options and what might be good for a picky eater. But also it'll give your vet a good opportunity just to check the oral health. So check that all the teeth look steady, that there's not a gum disease problem that would be causing pain when we're eating and making them a little bit more reluctant or even signs that might not be immediately apparent to you but a vet will be able to maybe see a pattern of problems Okay, all right. good advice as always Jane thank you for that have a lovely week and we'll chat to you again next week that is uh, Jane Peckett the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group that's where I leave you for today my thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing Nick's with you for the afternoon and we'll talk to you tomorrow at 10 
Every Friday, we're counting down to the weekend, the weekend. by turning up the feel good. C103's Feel Good Friday brings you six hours of feel good greatest hits. Join Nick Richards from One and Martina O'Donoghue from Four as we get you weekend ready. Weekend ready. Turning up the feel good for Cork. For Cork. Every Friday from One. Feel Good Friday, only on C103. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.